Good morning, y'all. I, um, I've had the privilege for the last couple of weeks to be in, in a different clime. I had a brand new baby granddaughter born in December in Hawaii. And I know I just made everyone in the room jealous, and, and I'm quite okay with that. Um, but there's a time when you just want to get home, right? You want to be back to uh, the norm, uh, to the, the routine. And uh, anytime we get out of our routines, if you're like me, you just, you just kind of feel, yeah, I like this. I can enjoy this for a while. But there's, there's a point at which you just say, just get me home in my own bed, in my, my own routines of what I eat and, and uh, not eating raw fish and, and all the other stuff that comes along with that journey. I am glad to be home. Uh, my wife and I live in Buda, and uh, we love this church and the whole fact that God has uh, given us the opportunity to begin this ministry here and uh, occasionally give me the opportunity to, to share the Word of God with you. We're, we're just kicking off a study of the Holy Spirit, uh, and it, it's going to be six weeks worth of it, immersing ourselves in what what God uh, has designed and, and placed in, in the midst of the church, this incredible movement of, of dynamite <laughs> portion of who God is, this, this fullness of God in us that, that is designed to do things that, that frankly take us beyond the norm. Uh, I, I look at the, the situation in which Jesus kind of drops us into the laps of the disciples, and, and I kind of look at their hearts because they kind of mirror where I'm at. You know, all my life I've said, man, I would have loved to have been in Galilee and, and in Judea and have walked with Jesus and spent all that time with Jesus and listened to Jesus teach. And I've been in, in awe since a young man at God's massive creation and the beauty of it all and and the incredible, compelling work of Christ on Calvary. But there's, there's an element that was greatly missing, frankly, in, in my early faith journey. It was this awareness of God's provision in the Holy Spirit to work in my life what God could only do. I, I kind of looked at Christianity as a journey of my efforts, what I could accomplish by God's help. But, you know, God was, God kind of kicked me off and, and it was up to me to keep the motor running. What I've come to realize in, in, in subsequent years of ministry is that if I don't enter into the, the, the plan that God has of allowing his Holy Spirit to work within me and produce within me all that he desires at his bidding, at his timing, at his work, that, that I've missed a huge opportunity. It's very clear in the Word of God that the Spirit of God is given to us when we put our faith in Jesus. He is resident within us. But it's very clear from the Word of God as well that, that we can quench that Spirit. We can, we can kind of keep it at arm's length, as it were, and not pay attention to it and kind of run in our own motor. So our exercise over the next six weeks is to challenge you to step beyond yourselves 
and open your heart to the continuing work of God in you. Um, I confess that, frankly, far too often in, in my 50-plus years of ministry, I've been, I've been caught with my own motor running and not waiting on God to do what God needs to do and paying attention to what God wants me to do. Uh, I've hopefully learned in that period of time that uh, in and of myself, as John put it, I can do nothing. I run in the power and the spirit of God's spirit. John chapter 14 is, is where we come to to kind of inaugurate this series together. And it's, uh, we, I find myself kind of sitting with the disciples in this upper room. Uh, we are at a point where G Judas has, has already been identified as the one who's going to betray Jesus. He's gotten up and left the room. Um, the disciples have all kinds of questions. Jesus begins in chapter 14 by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And one of the disciples quickly speaks up, and he, he says, oh, Lord, uh, uh, frankly, uh, I don't know where you're going, and, and how can I know the way? doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why are you leaving, Period. Uh, why can't it be just like this forever, walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, watching Jesus do miracles? It's because the intentions and the purpose of God were to redeem humanity, and that took the death of Jesus. And that meant the absence of Jesus. And all of his ministry, especially in the weeks prior to this moment, he was preparing them for this, this ultimate conclusion of him high, hanging on a cross, dying for their sins. And, and they were not ready for this. It's very obvious as we go through it. They, they were troubled about many things. They were confused as to where he was going, why he was going. They were bothered about the change in, in what they thought were the normal outbreaking of his arrival into Jerusalem in, in a victorious manner and uh, thought the governments were going to change, and he was in the business of changing men's hearts. <laughs> and they weren't quite prepared for that element. They wanted something grander, something greater. It would only be a few hours later that Peter, after boasting that he was on Jesus' side and that he would go to the death, even though everybody else ran away, he would never walk away, and yet there he found himself denying Jesus three times having to look at the eyes of the Savior upon his third denial and then moving away and weeping bitterly at his failure. Confused, troubled, bothered, denial. And it wasn't just Peter. Scripture tells us that when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, they all fled. Imagine spending three years immersing your heart the very words of God into the lives of individuals, you would think that would thoroughly change them. And yet here in this moment, he finds them doing what? Fleeing, abandoning him, leaving him alone. He knew this would happen. Even when they came to the empty tomb, they were surprised to find it empty. Had they not been listening? What was up with these guys? Where were their heads? 
What had they not obviously been hearing for three years? And yet it's to these very people that, that Jesus speaks in this, these last words at a last meal to, to let them know that he doesn't go on to this next phase, to this next journey, this journey through the cross to leave them alone. He comes to this moment to give to them something that will take them further than he took them himself. Now, we kind of miss that sometimes, uh, that Jesus has a plan that goes beyond the cross, that goes beyond the empty tomb. But if you will, follow with me in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. We read these words. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Who ha whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, says to him, Lord, how is it you, you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's pray. Father, take your word, indelibly write it in our hearts, and help us to see and to understand and respond to the movement of your spirit in our hearts today in ways that only you can orchestrate in ways that only you, Lord, can open our eyes to understand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Men who are troubled, confused, uptight, fearful, in denial, fleeing, abandoning Jesus, surprised all by all that is happening around them. What makes the difference to change them into individuals who then became the primary spokespeople for the movement of the, of the greatest movement of the gospel ever in the history of the world. What, what made these men fearless when we come to the book of Acts? What made them, as we heard last week, even though they were told not to preach, to just boldly go out and preach? What, what allowed them to, to move from this huddled group of fearful individuals, unsure of tomorrow, unaware of where they were going, what made them the kind of people whom God could change the world with? I want to submit to you this morning that God is still looking for those people who are willing to respond to his spirit and to know that his spirit is alive and well and moving in the hearts of men and women today. And that you 
have this capacity to enter into the fullness of all he has planned, in the fullness of his agenda, and reach a world that will change people's lives forever. That's what he's about. You see, the Spirit is, is coming, and, and he's telling them that he is coming, and he wants them to wait and be there in Jerusalem for this outpouring of the Spirit of God who would come and, and do more than what he had done, who would carry out his mission, who would establish the church, who would, who would allow all this to happen. And, and let me tell you this, it, it didn't happen because they attended a discipleship seminar, okay? It didn't happen because they heard incredible sermons from incredible people that, that prepared their hearts to go and do things. It happened because God took the initiative by his spirit to change men's hearts. And he's about doing that today. And he invites us to be a part of that. I um, look at the first chapter of, of Acts and uh, you read in verses 4 through 8 how, how the spirit comes in power, how their lives are changed, how the the earth is shaken and, and, and tongues of fire fall from heaven and, and men begin to speak in languages they've never known or never talked in before so that the gospel can reach those who are in the city for, for a time of celebration that are from all over the world so they can hear this gospel for the first time. God does a mighty outpouring. We find that uh, I think sometimes when we, we talk doctrine, we we say, yeah, we need that, but that's, you know, leave that for seminary. Uh, God says, no. God says, be aware. Know the truth. The Holy Spirit, uh, frankly, it was kind of given to us in, in, a, in a dangerous package when we called it the Holy Ghost. <laughs> because we kind of got this mentality. It's just some outside influence. It's some whisper in our ear. It's some kind of... Uh, outside experience that, that somehow affects how we think. But Jesus says the Spirit is fully God. Time and time again, he packages for us this work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one, co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal. He is divine. He's not just some influence. He is God. And being God, he comes to us in a form totally different. God the Father is there, bigger than the universe, as it were, in creation and in the movement of time and space and history. God the Son is God made human flesh and dwelling among us, showing to us the heart of the Father, showing to us the love of God that that surpasses all understanding. But the Spirit comes and he says it dwells within us. Within us. It, it, it's no longer some, some separation that is taking place. He is a person. He is the person of God dwelling within this human temple, this fleshly temple that is Chuck Davis, that is, that is you. And this Holy Spirit is there for many intended purposes, some of which are given to us in this passage of Scripture. 
But I want you to understand he is fully divine. And he is a person, not just some influence. He has, in every level of explanation of what a person is, he has intelligence. Verse 26 tells us that he is the one who will teach us all things whatsoever Jesus has commanded us. He is our teacher. He has a will. First Corinthians chapter 12 says he gives the gifts accordingly as appointed as he wills. He exercises those gifts to you and to me to exercise within the body of Christ. We'll be talking about that in a future week. But he also has emotion. We can grieve that Holy Spirit. I um, think sometimes in, if, we, if we look at the Holy Spirit, we have to understand this. It's a relationship. And I don't know about you, but the people I love the most sometimes can grieve my heart. Is that true for you? <laughs> they could just, you know, do we have to go there? I remember the first time I told my daughter, one of my daughters, that I was disappointed in them. I learned very quickly, as a young lady, she was far too sensitive for me to say that. And, and I really kind of cut off uh, a bit of our relationship for a while until I could just let her know that, you know, I'm disappointed in myself at times. <laughs> you know, I'm not beyond that. I, I enter into that. I know I can grieve your heart and you can grieve mine. But I want you to know I'm seeking what's best for you. In that same way, the Holy Spirit knows what we need. The Holy Spirit is God's present gift to us continually to enable us to know the words and the will of the Father. He proceeds from God and, and gives us that ability to, to just enter in fully to what God has planned for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is eternal. You know, one of the, being God, obviously he's eternal, but it's, it's kind of like in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming and going and coming and going and event, in, in events uh, impacting the world. But Jesus says he will come to us forever, forever. There's no discontinuity in his presence, in his work, in his abiding with us, in helping us be all God intends us to be. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Why is the Spirit given to us? We enjoy the communion of the Father and the Son through the power of the indwelling Spirit. It's this movement of God ever closer to us to create in us the ability to, to accomplish all his heart desires for the fullness of who he has made us to be. It tells us in verse 15 as well as in verse 23 that he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world has cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He then goes on to say that he comes to those who will obey his call, those who seek to love and obey him. The Spirit comes and indwells. 
And when we respond to him in obedience, when we receive him as our Christ as our Savior, we have within us this promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling forever. He comes to dwell with us eternally, as I mentioned. And this is not just some fly-by-night uh, attachment that God has to us. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He commissions us by the enablement and the power of the Holy Spirit and then says, you've got me with you every step of the journey. In Ephesians, we are told that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but um, following somebody else's steps is sometimes not all that easy. I remember once with my, my now uh, 45-year-old twin boys, I, I took a hike. And they were about four years old at the time, and, and their steps were not quite as large as mine. And we were making our way across the stream and I said, just step on the same rocks that dad steps on. I mean, the water was maybe three inches, four inches deep. It was not something terrifying. And, and I took one step, and I got there, and I went to the next one. I said, now you step there. And they were obediently following me, each one of my steps, until I took a step, and I slid on a rock, and I ended up sitting in the middle of the stream. And, and my brilliant um, one-minute-older oldest twin, which he'll be glad to tell you he is, um, to this day. Uh, he said, can I do that too, Dad? Uh, you know, I just looked at him and said, I don't think you want to do this, and your mother would not be happy, you know. Uh, we're going to get home. I want to step where you step. God is desiring that we keep in step with the Spirit not just when we feel like it, but as, as a continual practice, as a continual movement of our lives as we grow in Jesus. But he tells us here that he comes as our helper. It's, it's a very interesting word. It, it's called parakletos. And it literally means to come alongside, to support, to be an advocate. It's variously translated in our our translations is helper or guide or uh, comforter or truth uh, enabler. There's, there's this movement that God is saying, we can't really put it in English words, but it's saying, I'm here to support you for the fullness of your journey. I, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be working in you. And the question is simply for us to say, Am I willing for him to do this? Am I willing to have the full participation of God in every moment of my life? If we're honest with ourselves, I think we often find that we strike out in our own directions and choose when God is involved in our lives. But that's not what God's heart is beating for. He desires to change a world, and for that, he needs our full participation, and he needs our full allegiance and our full obedience to allow him to do his full work within us, and he has designed that the Holy Spirit be the one who both initiates and perpetrates that throughout our entire lives.
there's a beautiful reminder to us here that the, tr the Holy Spirit is, is the truth teacher. He brings to our remembrance all that Jesus had taught. It, it's interesting as you work your way through the book of Acts and as you read the apostles' works and the epistles, that, that time and time again, there's these little eureka moments <laughs> when, when they recall what Jesus said, when they build on the truths that Jesus had taught. And, and they're receiving that because that Holy Spirit is evident and working in their lives and has changed the whole dynamic of who they are. They moved from that place of fear to a place of boldness. They moved from a place of fear to a place where anything can be persevered through. Read First and Second Peter. It's as, if, it's as if Peter says, nothing can stop us now. <laughs> We are, we are conditioned, we are prepared, we are in the, in the presence of the eternal God who is living within us. We can do anything. We can accomplish anything. How often in our own lives do we stand back and say, uh, maybe this one's too big. Maybe this is too difficult a situation. Maybe this is more than I was intended to handle. And we fall back, forgetting that the very eternal and limitless power of God is present in us in the person of the Holy Spirit to power us through, to enable us to overcome anything that stands against the word of God. In 1983, a man by the name of John Scully was the vice president for PepsiCo. And he was being recruited by a gentleman by the name of Stephen Jobs uh, to work for a brand new company called Apple. Some of you may have heard it. Um, I just got my first iPhone. My kids are ecstatic. Um, I, I finally graduated from Android. It is true. And um, I know some of you are cheering. I hear that. Um, the reality is that when he met him, Steve Jobs said to John Skelly, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? As I read that this week, I, I thought to myself, in a hundred different ways, God is saying to us, are you willing to spend your life doing what you're doing now, or do you desire to change the world? Do you want the chance to change, truly change, transform the world? I am um, reminded that sometimes my vision is way too small. My trust is way too limited. My, my energies are, are sapped by such trivial things. When God has given and placed within me the very power of his dynamite self and said to me, live life full. 
live life to my glory. Live a life that changes, that alters eternities for people. And I settled for far less. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are very familiar to us, I'm sure. We read, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service, as some translations put it. And then he tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See, God is looking for individuals. And God's invitation goes to every one of you who are sitting in here today. To say, are you willing to give yourself as a living sacrifice, as a, as a life completely laid on the altar before God, that he may use you to his glory? To strengthen his church, to evangelize, to reach a dying world. Are you willing to be a part of that? That huddled group in that upper room on that night before Jesus was betrayed, they had no clue what was about to happen. They had no understanding, really, as to the amount of transformation that would take place within their lives. But when the Holy Spirit came, that dynamite power of an eternal God came into their lives, there was a difference. And it's the same difference God desires to occur in your life this morning. It's an invitation. An invitation to trust the eternal God. Because he has an eternal plan for you. Because he has given you all that is necessary in this moment. Through the sacrifice of his son that you may be able to live the fullest, most transformative life that anyone can live. We settle for far less, far less than what God has intended for us. And so as we kind of kick this off today, this study of the Holy Spirit, I want you to understand this simple truth. It's not what we bring to the table it's what God has already brought in the person of the Holy Spirit that makes a difference. He didn't choose, as, as he spoke through Paul in the Corinthians, he didn't choose the wise. He didn't choose those that were of high education. He didn't chose, chose those who were of great position or great wealth. God, God chose the simple to confound the complex. God chose the powerless to confound those who are mighty. God chose those who, who seemingly weren't wise in this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. You can read it. Acts has the response of the Sanhedrin as they, as they say, you know, if this be of God, we're not going to be able to stop it. God is moving and God is going to do what God's going to do and you can either be a part of it or you can sit back and just watch and hope for its demise. But I want you to know God will be victorious. 
and his purposes will be accomplished. And he's all about that today. And he invites you to be a part of that. Will you? Will you? Will you open your heart for the fullness of the work of the Spirit of God in your life? Let's pray.